You're listening to Lady Radio, the hottest show this side of Dizzo. Attention, attention, inbound Cobra from Vespa M4, vehicle designation, Angel Rose. You are clear for docking. Upon arrival, Commander Russell, please report to the station bar. Attention, Uh, attention, second technician, Forrester. To the station bar. I repeat, second technician, Forrester, to the station bar. Joining us in the station bar this evening is a lady who is no stranger to a bit of champagne in the eyes. A successful TV presenter covering a variety of topics ranging from speedway racing to computer games to extreme sports and our personal favourite, technology. As well as being a regular presenter of Webscape for the BBC Click and technology guru for morning shows such as Daybreak, she's also a columnist for the National Geographic Traveller magazine and Web User magazine. And if that wasn't enough to keep her busy, this year she's even found time to release her first book, Entitled Work in the Cloud, The Ultimate Guide to Making the Internet Work for You and Your Business, the book contains the knowledge to harness the power of free online tools and resources to turn the internet into a crucial asset for your business. Joining us all the way from Planet Slough, author of the upcoming elite novel Mostly Harmless, welcome to Lave Radio, Kate Russell. Hey, it is Kate Russell who is Mostly Harmless, pretty much Mostly Harmless. harmless. Yes. Yes, I, I love that introduction. Wow, how did I get from champagne in the eye to being a business author? That's uh, that's a very bizarre line. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, normally I'd ask if I'd missed anything out, but I think most people are still stuck on the uh, remark about the champagne in the eye, so maybe we should start off there. I'm curious as to where you dug that little gem up from. Where did you get that? <laughs> to be honest, I'm not too much of an internet stalker. It is on your webpage. So. How is it? I haven't read that for years. Um, yes. Okay. So I, I did. Um, I did Speedway Grand Prix uh, coverage um, uh, back in the year 2000, and it was a year that a, a British guy won the the championship. So Sky Sports decided they were going to put it on on their channel. So up on the podium, live, and they're you know they're in the studio, and we're going live now to Kate Russell, who's on the podium, to interview Mark, who's just won the championship for Great Britain. <laughs> and as they said that, the guys on the podium popped a bottle of champagne, sprayed it all over me. There were jokes from the commentators in the studio about wet t-shirt competition. I am just saying. And I don't think you've ever had cheap champagne in the eye, but it stings like a bastard. I did that whole, my first ever live broadcast to Sky Sports, and I did the whole thing, unable to see. I kept trying to, I was almost whacking the guys in the face with a microphone because I couldn't see them when I was sort of trying to point it at them. It was, it was horrific. Um, but yeah, there was it was actually quite funny, and um, it ended up in Gra- on Graham Norton's um, outtake show as well, which was uh, vaguely amusing too. So. Oh, is that the "It'll be alright" on the night? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh dear. That just brings too many images to the mind, and I'm just wondering about uh, you just bashing the world champion in the head with the uh, with the microphones just uh, tickled me. But exactly, um, exactly, it was a real baptism of fire. But that's that's you know that's television. I think it's pretty much been my life since I got involved in being in television. It is just it. It just I seem to stumble from one bizarre experience to another, and um, you know managed to managed to come out of it the other side with a little bit of dignity and um, and, and all my limbs intact. And, and just press on to the next thing, really. Oh, perfect. Well, speaking about the next thing, I mean, did I miss anything obvious out of your introduction? I don't think so. No, that was very thorough. Um, 
I've, I mean, well, I guess you got my career from the time when I started working on television and, and in writing. I actually first, my first job in writing was I was a games journalist and I wrote for uh, magazines like CMVG. I did some freelancing for EMAP Images. Did, I, I sort of hauled around the old uh, games journal industry as a freelancer for about, well, this was like back in 95 when I first got into television and the media. So actually it was it was kind of bizarre because I got a job in television completely by chance but one of my customers dared me um, I, I was selling computer games uh, manufacturing computer games selling to the games industry and one of my customers saw an advert Nickelodeon were looking for a young and funky female presenter who knew about games now I'd never been a presenter but he you know he always used to tease me that I was actually a real gamer um, and a girl which back in those days in the, in the mid 90s was still kind of unusual and he dared me to phone up the advert so I did and I got invited to go along for a screen test and I think because I was the only person who wasn't absolutely desperate to be on television <laughs> and didn't fall apart you know at the screen test because I was so nervous and desperate for the job um, they gave me the job and so then I'm sort of like doing this presenting this game show on Nickelodeon and I had to go up to uh, Leeds once a month just for three days and film the links um, and I carried on with my full-time job but then I was like wow this is cool I could do this and, and maybe I could become a, a journalist and, and do what I'd always dreamed of doing which would be a games journalist but never had any qualifications so I wrote a bunch of reviews for games that I like sent them around to a load of magazines with a cover note saying I'm on telly guess a job <laughs> and, <laughs> and EMAP did they they took me on as reviews editor for a new magazine for Maximum and I did that for six months until the magazine folded um, but by then I had enough contacts and enough sort of um, you know sort of contacts within computer games industry and had begun to pick up a bit of the sort of like the, the trade and the skill of writing uh, video game reviews um, and, and now, I haven't looked back from there I've been, I've been freelance ever since so spectacular well I know when I was doing um, my background research before this interview, the, the thing that jumped out at me uh, from your background page was the reference to your brother's copy of Elite yeah. uh, as being the catalyst that got you interested in, uh, what, computer games, technologies in general? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, it, picture the scene. It's 1984. I'm a petulant and somewhat difficult 15-year-old. Um, <laughs> and I go to a girls' school, a girls' grammar school in St Albans, St Albans Girls' School. And in my slightly stuffy, just ex-girls grammar school, I got taught things like needlework and home economics. Very useful, very useful. I was actually, I had a, I had a lesson once to iron a man's shirt in, <laughs> in a girls' school. You can imagine how well that, that was me. I'm just kind of like, I do not get why you're teaching me this stuff. It's never oh. going to be relevant to me. We have supermarkets and oh, we have laundrettes. <laughs> Seriously. Um, meanwhile, my brother, two years older than me, was studying um, computer science and um, technical drawing. And I'm like, why can't I do that stuff? So my parents, luckily, uh, were, were in a position to be able to afford to buy a BBC Micro at a time when they'd just come out. And they bought one for Matt because he was really keen uh, on coding and, and beginning to do the computer science stuff. And we had one at home and, and, and he had this game called Elite. And I would look over his shoulder and watch him flying around this three-dimensional environment. And I know it's only black, you know, with white lines, but, you know, at the, at the time, back in 1984, it was just like, it was like witchcraft. It was, how is there this world inside this finite box on the table? So whenever, I mean, typical brother, he wouldn't let me play on his computer. So when he would go out, I would play on it. And I remember one day actually just sitting, deciding that, being the cynical person I am, uh, even at that age, I was like, there's no way that this is an infinite universe inside here. I'm going to find the edge of it. So I sat with my finger on the forward button for, you know, like oh, just no hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't come to an end. And I think really that kind of like, you know, maybe it was the boredom, maybe I was going to partially actually uh, mentally <laughs> impaired or something but I just kind of sat there and went I want to know how this works what's making it do that and and plus I'd seen Matt you know doing sort of basic coding and, and getting the machine to say hello to him and and respond to basic questions 
Yeah. So that was really what it was gaming. It was definitely gaming. And I speak at schools quite a lot as well about uh, computer science education. And I'm a really big believer in you have to make education entertaining the brightest minds in this world will never engage if you don't give them something which they find curious or entertaining and games are a brilliant way of doing that um and this is why things like the raspberry pi which is you know david braben's new thing and 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 games like this that you know games like elite which don't just it's not just pew 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 it's not you know although that's good hand-eye coordination and all the rest of it but i learned about basic economics and trade i learned about different cultures i learned rough geography you know and these were all subjects which at school i had flat out refused to engage with mm. so it was a really good way for me to sort of become engaged and probably saved me from going to some kind of correctional facility um, <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure you weren't that bad Kate. i was i was awful <laughs> I was dreadful. I want me and a, a, um, a friend of mine that the school decided because we were terribly naughty and we would lock the doors in between the um, the blocks. You know, the, you know, these schools which have got blocks and then corridors and outside. But yeah. So people would lock the doors so that people couldn't get into their class. So the school decided that they were going to um, switch all the locks to a lock that you could lock, but you couldn't unlock and you had unless you had the key. And only the caretaker had the key. It was a doddery old man. And their reasoning, I guess, for this was we're going to, you know, it'd be too much of a, a scary thing. People won't want to lock the doors because it's, you know, a big consequence to locking them. But me and my friend worked out a route that we could, in the lunchtime, go around and lock the entire school and end up outside <laughs> by climbing out of a science window, a ground floor window. And we locked the entire school. We ceased lessons for half the day whilst this doddery old man were around and unlocked the now, I know it's probably been a, a little while in the past, but are you sure you want to actually admit to that live one? <laughs> That's air? fine. That's fine. I, just, I had a book launch, but you said I've launched a book. I, I invited my, all my family to the book launch, and in the after party, they, they all went round and did their sort of embarrassing Kate stories. So, you know, everyone knows this stuff anyway. They They told the story of me putting a plastic bag on my head and pretending to be a chicken for an afternoon in the school because it entertained me, so... Fine. There's nothing they can do to me now. Look at me, I'm a success. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, well, uh, whilst I try and compose myself, uh, was it just Elite you played, or did you also play the Frontier games and the First Encounters games uh, as well? Now, there's a funny story to that. Right, okay, so I, I, missed, uh, I missed the second one. I missed Frontier, but First Encounters, I actually was responsible for producing that game tech was my really? client and it was one of the last games i actually produced when i was working for the cd manufacturing plant and it was actually floppy disks still uh, it was on like x i can't even remember i think it was like eight or nine floppy disks it was distributed on the, the full game and they were my customer and i um was responsible for producing duplicating packaging up and distributing that game to the world at the time when it was first uh, released, where, so it was absolutely riddled with bugs, and I played it at that stage, and it was such a huge disappointment um, no. that I think it was actually probably one of the reasons why I got out of disc manufacturing and and, and game production and into journalism because I wanted to go and rant at the world about how <laughs> I featured some games. So no, but I got into shooters. I got into first person. I was I was I was never really one for the sort of like the combat and the battle and uh, um, you know in, in elite i only got up to dangerous because i was always off exploring or carrying some precious cargo uh, you know or, or off to sort of go go and do something really interesting in terms of the trade m missions or exploring well, I was going to say, that's no shame. Most of us only got up to Dangerous in Elite. There's only there's very few that got the badges. Yeah, uh, but I would, li I would literally avoid conflict. And then in the, in the other games, I, I played a bit of uh, Wing Commander. We had an Amiga after the, um, the BBC Micro. But I wasn't really into the sort of like the fly around fighty fighty. But I got into Castle Wolfenstein. Uh, okay. So I, I went the sort of like the puzzle-solving, stealth, sneaky, sneaky route. 
Um, <laughs> so Castle Wolfenstein was a big, big game for me. And then when uh, Returns Castle Wolfenstein later on came out, that I actually ended up playing in uh, the clan uh, for a team on the in the clan was uh, clan ladders uh, league for a while uh, in Returns Castle Wolfenstein. And yeah, I, I like those kind of games where you've got to sort of like puzzle solve and, and rely on stealth rather than just pure brute sort of um, firepower and force of will. But also working then from 95 in, in games journalism, I was kind of spoiled really. And there weren't, when you get games thrown at you, and you yeah. have to play games even if you don't want to play them. Um, then you kind of get a little bit jaded about it. And it takes sort of quite a lot for something to catch your eye and catch your imagination. So nothing ever really caught me in the same way as Elite did. Really? So, I mean, it would seem rude to have a game journalist on the show without actually asking you, you know, outside the space in genre, what are your favourite video games of any era and uh, and why? Well, yeah. Obviously, Castle Wolfenstein sounds like a favourite. Yeah, I mean, for me as well, one of the things that I loved was the, especially about Castle Wolfenstein and enemy territory going on from there um, and to, to an extent Call of Duty. But the, the great thing about the Return to Castle Wolfenstein era for me was it introduced me to the idea of cooperative multiplayer strategy. And I just remember... We would sort of, on a Wednesday night, we would do our practice and we would go onto the maps that we were going to play at the weekend and we would work out a strategy and, you know, someone would be the engineer, someone would be the, the, the medic and then, you know, you'd have a lieutenant and a couple of soldiers and you'd, you know, and I, and I quite like being a sniper as well. It was always quite funny listening to the boys um, teasing the opposition in voice comms that they'd just been sniped by a girl. Everyone would be like, there's no way, there's no way a girl just sniped me. And then I'd pipe up and go, uh, I think there is. And they'd be like, no. Oh, priceless. <laughs> so that was a really good period in my life just because it, it was... It was like being part of a five-a-side football team, and you didn't have to leave the house or put on a football kit. It was brilliant. <laughs> um, but yeah, Mass Effect was—it's probably the last game that I've really played. The Mass Effect series, um, the one and two, um, was the last game I played really seriously. I bought Black Ops way back in 2010, and I've—I've I've not even played it yet. How embarrassing is that? <laughs> What about the uh, the final Mass Effect game? Have you got round to that? No, no, I'm too. I've written a book. You can't. <laughs> you, seriously, you can't be a grown up and have a mortgage and write a book and play video games. It's just because I'm also I'm one of those people, and you're probably the same. I think most people who get sort of passionately into games are the same. Is you've got to be the best at it, otherwise there's no point in doing it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the only way to be the best at it is to spend a huge amount of time playing. So, and I just don't have, I don't, I don't get into these games because I've got too much else to do. <laughs> well, I'm hoping that's going to change in March next year when they actually do release the game because I think there's quite a few writers out there at the moment who are trying to get their book out in time so they will have some time to play the uh, Elite Dangerous when it's launched. Oh, yeah, I've scheduled in three months of. <laughs> doing nothing other than the bare essentials from uh, I hope they launch it on time because otherwise uh, <laughs> I'm going to be sitting around twiddling my thumbs but no definitely I mean that's the kind of thing it's a kind of what ha 21 years we've waited for this I know I know I think we all do it's all of us have been you know checking the website checking the forums you know just the slightest hints of the elite four rumors and, and you're there uh, living on hope but no it's amazing and uh, the kickstarter journey which we'll come on to a little bit later is just it was great to see so many fans, so many kindred spirits sort of coming together and just saying, look, is it really going to happen? Are we really going to get the game that we've been waiting for? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember as well when, because, you know, the, the, obviously the abomination that was uh, the original um, First Encounters, the first situation mm. of First Encounters, and that ended up in in um, litigation between yeah, Game Tech yeah. and, and uh, Mr. Braben. And actually, I remember reading um, posts in a forum uh, back back in 2000, I think it was, or maybe the end of 1999, saying the the litigation is finally settled. They've settled out of court. And David Braben's happy, and it means you know the settlement means that he and his company, Frontier Developments, can now proceed with a long-awaited Leap Forward development, which is set to start <laughs> in January 2000. That's what they said, and that's like you kind of like I've been holding my breath since then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you said that you had an Amiga. Well. Obviously, um, because of all the litigation and everything else, 
first encounters never appeared on the Amiga, so those of us that had Amigas was pretty much stuck with Frontier. Yeah. Not a bad thing, but uh, we were also waiting on the end of litigation because we were told that, you know, the Elite version was done. It would have to just wait for the court case to finish before it was going to get launched. So we were all waiting and waiting and waiting, and it just it just fell off the radar. It never, ever got launched on the Amiga, so there's a whole generation of people that played Elite, played Frontier, it just didn't get a chance to look at first encounters, bugged or otherwise. Yeah, well, honestly, you're lucky. Seriously, you're lucky. <laughs> I mean, it poisoned me, although I don't think I'll ever... I, I had the chance, I had the, was really lucky to actually speak to David Braben before Christmas because I did an interview with him, which I managed to place in a few different places around the, the Kickstarter. And, you know, I, I honestly, I've never been so starstruck in my life <laughs> because he was... It, it just... The game that he produced and, and how different it was from everything that was around. That was, I think, what was so special about it as well. It wasn't just the game as it is today. You know, you go back and play it and it's obviously it's very dated, but it was just a fundamental leap from everything else that we'd seen before. It was just, and how does, how does somebody's mind come up with that? How do you make that next step in the evolution of technology mentally? Where, where does that come from? That's, that's a really amazing thing. And, um, yeah, I, was, I have to say I was, I was more than a little bit starstruck speaking to him. <laughs> yeah, well, I can, you know, can empathise because I'm dreading the actual launch party because uh, I'm going to have to stay away from him because I know that the moment I, I get in front of him, I'm just going to be a gibbering wreck. Yeah. Uh, because, again, you know, he managed to bottle escapism. He managed to you know, create a game out of nothingness and just take you to a whole new universe, which for a kid in that era, we've talked about it a lot on the show, but if you were having a bad day or you know, you know, things were down, you could literally you could just sit yourself in front of uh, Elite and just go off to a completely different universe ah. and, uh, yeah, get away from it all. I think he should be made, on the, the launch party, he should be made to wear the T-shirt with a huge logo on it. Then nobody's going to feel intimidated, are they? going to be like, no, that guy's got his, that logo's too big. I'm no longer bold. The, lo- the logo is bigger than the man now. <laughs> We're hoping that somewhere, somewhere uh, somebody is actually knitting uh, a jumper with a logo just as big that he can wear on the evening. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, going from uh, from one genius to another, I mean, outside of computer games, there are some wonderful nods at the works of Douglas Adams in your latest project, not least the title. Um, have these comes from links with Adams' humour inside the original Leak game, or are you also a big Douglas Adams fan? Yeah, well, obviously there's a links within, within the game, and I was fully aware of those, but I have always been. The one thing that I've um, actually wanted to do in my life is write, and I, the reason that I've wanted to write is because of people like Douglas Adams. I loved to read, and Douglas Adams' books just took me to a place that was just so frivolous and carefree and full of the just the ridiculousness of um just it was just just ridiculously funny and um you couldn't guess where they were going to go I'm, I'm a real nightmare for trying to guess a plot of something and I always kick myself because you'd be watching a great film and they'll be like I know that's that I think that's gonna happen <laughs> and then it does and you're like oh well, I knew that and I'm like, why, why didn't I just shut myself up and just enjoy it <laughs> but with Douglas Adams you could never guess where he was going to take it. And the, the most bizarre things would, you know, pop up like a sperm whale suddenly appearing in the middle of outer space. And, just, you know, just brilliant, brilliant mind. And I guess he's been a big influence in my writing style as well. And I like to look at the absurd, the absurdity of life and, and the things that happen to you. I like to see the personality in, in things as well, inanimate objects, you know, in, in, in Douglas Adams' world inanimate objects really had a personality and had a presence far beyond what you would expect of something that wasn't living or breathing and I like that I like that he gave equal credence to so many different aspects of your surroundings and it just it just throws you off off kilter and when you're not expecting something that's when the real belly laugh comes because (laughs) you just kind of like where did that come from that's ridiculous so yeah love him love him love him love him have you got a favorite Adam's book um, well, the Hitchhiker's Guide series, really, I mean, they're, they're kind of the ones that have always stuck with me. Um, and I know it's kind of like very, very obvious to say that, but they are the ones that have stuck with me. And even down to the title, you know, things like um, a trilogy in four parts, <laughs> just the little touches um, and the characterization that takes you through. 
Um, just brilliant. Yeah, I would have to say it's it's definitely definitely Hitchhiker's Guide. I've got my towel with me as well right now. Well, you can't go anywhere without your towel. That is a must. <laughs> okay, well, talking of Douglas Adams, it segues us nicely into your Mostly Harmless Kickstarter project. Now, I mean, your Kickstarter it was a slightly different journey to the rest of the licensed fiction authors. I mean, to start with, because you came in so close to the end of the main Kickstarter, the main Elite Dangerous Kickstarter, you gambled and put your own money up front. Is that right? Yeah. It, it kind of it didn't it didn't really feel like a gamble, to be honest with you. I, I'd been aware of the Kickstarter when it started off, but I was in the last throes of finishing writing my business book, which I had to get finished uh, before Christmas so that they could get it out and publish it in March. And so I've been really just sort of, you know, head down on that um, and, and was kind of like vaguely aware on the periphery. I'd put in, I think, 25 quid into the Kickstarter to begin with. And so I was kind of like getting the updates and was aware of where it was going. And then when I came back to it just about a week before Christmas, it's sort of like I looked at it and I was like, oh, gosh, this is it slowed down a bit. And I know that, that you have the boost towards the end, but it still, it still seemed like there was an awfully long way to go. And I got involved with the uh, comments on the Kickstarter thread and, you know, and that just sort of like was a crazy, crazy, lively, brilliant, wonderful, mad place um, to hang out. And you know, said, oh, OK, I'm going to try and get some, I'm going to interview David. And so I got in touch with Frontier and I said, can I get an interview with him? And David was on holiday and he, he landed from his holiday and went straight to the office and spoke to me. And I managed to file a, a couple of um, articles with people at the last minute right before Christmas. And, you know, and then gave them a little bit of advice on some social media things and people that they may be able to contact. So I kind of got involved much more heavily in the week before Christmas. And then a bunch of people on the um, on the forum, and I obviously you know backed pretty much all of the other writing projects as well. Um, and then a bunch of people on the forum were just like, "You should buy a, a license as well. You should do one too." And I was like, "Gee, I've got. I wish I could, but I've got, I've got no time to write a book. It's ridiculous. I'm so busy at the moment, and it, but it's such a good opportunity." Um, and then I went away and thought about it, and I'm like, "Well, do you know what?" It is a massive, like a ridiculously huge opportunity to be able to get the support and the backing of a game launch that's got already such a big media buzz around it and such a great engaged community. Do you know what? I've always wanted to get into fiction writing. What the hell? What the hell? I will do it. There was like about two weeks left on on the um, uh, Dangerous Kickstarter uh, with 10 days left on the Dangerous Kickstarter, I think. And I was also aware that everybody had put in a lot <laughs> of money, like a lot more than they really should have done in many cases, given that it's a recession and it was Christmas. <laughs> OK, do I so do I want to just add to their stress <laughs> or... Do I? Because so many people were so positive and were like, you should definitely do it. We'll definitely back you. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll be right behind you. I was like, do you know what? I believe that I can get to the four and a half thousand needed to buy the, the license with the support that I've got here. I've also got like 25,000 at the time Twitter followers I had. Um, I thought I, I can give it a good stab. And if I fall a grand short or whatever, then, you know, I'll, I'll set up a PayPal account and go and sit out in the street and, <laughs> and look for lawn or something and something will happen something will come along I'm a very big believer in you've got to I think one of the reasons I've got where I've got in life is just you have to just leap off the edge you have to take those blind leaps of faith every now and again and say I want this so I'm just going to just stretch out a little bit further than is perhaps wise and hope that I manage to catch it <laughs> well yeah I mean that's the other point I mean you you didn't quite have the long drawn out wait that uh, some of the licensed fiction authors uh, had for their Kickstarters. How long did it take you to hit your Douglas Adam inspired goal of uh, 42. Yeah, 42, 42? Uh, four and a half hours. It was, I know, it's crazy, isn't it? It was the most ridiculously exhilarating ride of my life. I, I could not believe it. I mean, uh, so what I did was I said, all right, OK, I'm going to do the Kickstarter and I'm going to set it to run until I think it was like the 4th of February or something. Um, uh, and I uh, I said, uh, yes, it was 8.42 on the 4th of February. So it was another 42, 42. It was all sort of like weaving these 42s in, just trying to be clever. 
And and so I said to everybody, okay, you know, 4th of February, you'll have had your new pay packets by then. So hopefully you'll have some money you can put into it. So, you know, it'd be great if you can back me. Um, and it went live and four and a half hours later, I was up to four and a half thousand pounds and I was just absolutely blown away, humbled. <laughs> it's it's such a humbling experience as well when you've got so many people who don't know you from Adam. Um, you know, and a lot of the people on the Kickstarter who supported me don't know me from my TV work either. They, you know, they don't know who I am. I'm not somebody who's massively famous. Um, and they just sort of bought into the idea of another author's going to do it, so we're going to back it. And I guess they liked the idea that it was going to be a slightly quirky comedy thing rather than a sort of a hardcore sci-fi, you know, sort of uh, epic exploration of, of, of science and technology, which I think some of the others were sort of pitching that they were going in that direction. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, it was just, like, mind-blowing, and I'm so grateful, and um, they're all absolutely crazy, um, especially the ones who pi- who pitched in with, like, big, big pledge amounts so that they could actually participate in, uh, you know, naming characters and, and setting some of the scene and scenes and stuff, and... It's just amazing to think that people want to be involved and support you to that extent when you haven't actually written a word of the story yet. <laughs> well, maybe we can actually talk about the, some of those pledge amounts. So, I mean, you've set yourself quite a challenge with your pledge rewards because various pledge rewards have community content attached to them, such as the £25 pledge uh, Lucky Dip, where you offered backers the chance to have their name somewhere in some format in the book. Uh, yeah. It could be either a fleeting character, a space station or something nice, like a disease. Yeah. How are you managing all the community input rewards? Do you have a recurring nightmare about waking up the day after the book launches and remembering that you forgot to add the name Frank Oz somewhere in the story? <laughs> 200 of them as well. What was I thinking? Um, Ouch. No, actually, do you know what? I think that's going to be relatively easy. That What I've done, so for, for the, um, the, I think I called them, what was the reward tier I called it? Something about uh, attention seeker. So, yeah. and, and I've said to them, literally, you are just going to get, it may be a partial bit of your name or it may be, you know, I'm not going to put everybody's full name and middle initial in because that would be ridiculous. But there's going to be some reference to you that will be recognisable by you within the book. So I'm going to go back and retrofit those after I finish writing it. And there are some things that are very obvious that will be uh, able to um, make into those, like names of drinks and planets and minor characters. And, you know, there's there's all sorts of things, like you said, like um, parts of machinery, a couple of diseases, maybe a murder weapon. Um, <laughs> so um, there's elements of that that I can go back and retrofit. And um, I'm confident that I'll be able to get 200 of those in without, you know, given that I don't have to put their full name and initials and, you know, a postal code and address. I think it's safe to say that I can I can there is going to be 200 things in my book that potentially could be named. Um, and then the, the higher tiers, obviously, are a little bit more difficult or not difficult, a little bit more involved. But there's significantly fewer of those, which is good. Okay, well, I know the higher tiers really do involve the book, so maybe we should talk about the uh, book. What are you prepared to divulge about the book, Mostly Harmless? Oh, okay, so um, I don't want to give away, obviously, like everybody, I don't want to give away too much of the plot, but I would like to share with you actually a little bit about the the setting, because I think the setting is really where, for me, it, um, it the story evolved. So basically, uh, the story evolves around a character called Angel Rose, and she is a trader on a space station. Her father runs a space station surrounding a planet called Slough. Um, and Slough is essentially a huge lump of metal and rock, which is being gradually hollowed out and mined in order to create uh, materials for construction. So they're selling, they're mining and selling materials for construction uh, all around the galaxies. And this is owned by a, a company from the from from Earth originally, who left Earth when the um, state of our resources on Earth became it became apparent that nobody could make any money anymore. So they left with these huge eco ships in search of a new frontier and in search of somewhere that they could they could earn some money. And they came across this huge planet. It's one and a half times the size of Earth. It has one and a half times the size. It's basically got 1.5 Gs on the planet's surface. And so this 
over the course of about 500 years, the, the race or people who live in and around Slough have evolved in two ways. Some of them now live on the planet's surface and have become accustomed to the increased gravity. So their, their, their bodies and the way that they uh, look and they breathe and their internal organs, organisms have all evolved in order to be able to resist these huge uh, extra gravity on their body and then you've got the sort of like the upper classes who live in the eco ships in the space station up in orbit and uh, very much sort of like the the gentry if you like and that's who um angel's father is and her mother and she so she doesn't she doesn't fit in with her parents she just wants to be a lowly trader but she has a series of very bad luck um, and her mother interferes in ways that uh, are unspeakable in her business. And she ends up so down and out that she basically has to become or has to take up an offer to become an assassin in order to survive. And it turns out is the worst assassin that the world has ever known. And that's all I'm prepared to tell you. Um, at this stage, but she's just, yeah, she's just an absolutely dreadful assassin. But there's lots of potential comedy. Slough, I don't know if you've seen my um, mostlyharmlessbook.com website. I have seen the Mostly Harmless Book website, yeah. Okay, so so there's lots of comedy potential in terms of the, the eco-ships still exist and, and are in orbit around Slough, but they are now uh, well-being centres and fertility centres and, and you go and do your uh, hypergravity training there because, of course, when um, people go and traders go and spend months and months out of space in zero-G, when they come back, their bodies have actually degraded and atrophy is set in and their muscles are wasted and their bones are, are weak. And so they have to go to these wellness centres and actually be subjected to uh, centrifugal spinning to huge hypergravity forces in order to sort of reacclimatise them to gravity. Um, and so there's anti-gravity spas as well. So you can go and have a you can go and have a really deep cleansing hypergravity facial. And so there's all sorts of like hopefully uh, random references to things that we recognize in our lives on this planet and and how they might actually be influenced by living in in a world where there are these two very separate worlds one which is in hugely increased gravity and one which is uh, you know out out in in, in orbit with uh, potentially zero gravity well speaking about the website um just out of personal interest what was the uh, rationale between the stoke poges uh, industries name Ah, okay. So if you look on the map um, of, of Slough um, in, in uh, you know Google Maps, or whatever, Stoke Pogues is an area that is very close to Slough uh-huh. um, in on the map, and and a lot of the other elements of, that you'll find in in the book um, are actually physically locations that are around. I, I looked to the map. I looked to Google Maps for my inspiration for some of the elements. Um, and then, of course, there's the Slough Observers, which is the uh, the eco ships. Um, so that was obviously the Slough Observer newspaper. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping they'll do a story on us when we launch the book. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Slough Orbital, uh, which is the space station. So, and my hopefully, I'm still going through clearance, but hopefully, my star system is going to be Vespa M4, Ooh. which is Vespa is uh, is Latin for westbound. Oh, really? so <laughs> it's Slough on the westbound M4. In it. <laughs> well, I mean, that leads us on to the next question about how much interactions you've actually had so far with Frontier Developments. Oh, do you know what? Um, Michael Brooks has been an absolute legend. He is, he is patient and he is thorough. He's uh, completely bloody anally retentive at times, but that's a good thing. Um, and he's he's always got time to kind of like help you. He, he's been very a very good. Um, when I first started sort of laying out my proposal, I hadn't really thought the gravity issue through. I just knew I wanted the planet to be heavy, and I knew I wanted it to weigh everybody down. And, and this would be a sort of like a big element of the of the emotion around Slowers. It's a heavy, depressing, um, vicious place to live, and. And originally I had the planet at like something like 4G or something. He was like, the human, <laughs> human body couldn't survive at 4G. Um, I'm like, really? So but it made me go away and do some research and do some really deep. I ended up doing some really deep research into the effects of, of gravity on the human body. And NASA actually did some experiments where they were spinning people up to 20 Gs 
Um, and I read quite a lot um, around that, which happened sort of back back in 2000. Um, so his anally retentive nature has caused me to be far more thorough in my research. Um, but he's never been he's never been obstinate or difficult. It's always been, you know, he's always his reasons for querying or objecting to certain elements of the plot have always been completely like you read it and you go, yeah, of course, of course, I'd, I'd look like an idiot if I left that <laughs> in. Thank you so much. So, okay, so been great. In which case, how's Frontier? How have they uh, dealt with the the humour aspect of your novel? Because as you say, it's quite unique amongst the the rest of the the licensed fiction in that it's you know, it is going to have a large humour content to it. Are Frontier developments on the same wavelength as you is anybody on the same wavelength as you <laughs> i don't know do you know what? i haven't told them any jokes so um we were just clearing the the physicalities and the, and the science and the technology and stuff i think um when it comes down to the humor and even to be honest with you because you know normally when you write write a book and write a proposal for a book you are writing the proposal in order to entice somebody to support you in the publishing of that book but this is a really odd beast because what we're doing when we're writing the proposals for for frontier is we're not having to romance them into coming onto our idea of the story what we're having to do is clear the technicalities of the function of how the story fits into their world so and because of the time constraints and and you know sort of needing to turn it around and start writing i haven't written my proposal in a nice fancy prose in the style you know normally you'd write the proposal in the style of the book um but that's not been necessary or the case with with this book because as long as i've got the technicalities right and you know the politics right and the mechanics of the game engine and the game world as long as that all fits in with my plot it actually doesn't matter how i write it into from from their perspective right yeah obviously it matters to to me and, and my readers and, and everybody else but it's going to be interesting, I think, to see the books come out finally because they really are in a position where they have to say yes ultimately to everybody because we've all bought licenses and it's just a question of the function of the story and the plot that, that we're haggling over. Um, the style of the writing and the prose is completely down to and between the Kickstarter backers and the Kickstarter person. You know, whether or not the book is a success is down to the person who's writing it and their relationship with their backers, which is why I think it's quite important for all of the, the authors to stay in touch with their with their backers and, and keep them informed and and make sure that, you know, sort of that they're engaged because it's much easier to get people to buy into your story if they felt involved some way through the creation of it so so why people like you know when drew is doing his um you know updates regularly and all the other guys doing their updates it's i think it's really important because it just you maintain that relationship and and when you book comes out you've got that relationship already so it's it's an easier sell for them to go oh yeah okay that was a good story yeah you know? absolutely because i've already bought into it now i mean speaking of yeah. someone that's uh, backed probably about 95 97 98 percent of the extracurricular uh, projects most of them have been <laughs> maintaining quite a good dialogue between you know between their backers most of them are really sort of engaged in talking to the community and keeping people informed but obviously from your side of things uh, most of your efforts at the beginning of this year have been focused on um, working the clouds uh, now that that's mm. been released how's progress on mostly harmless have you given yourself deadlines or are you just trying to write in your spare time how are you working it oh uh, well no see i'm I'm actually quite lucky because I am, um, you know, I'm aware of the fact that the other writers have got sort of, you know, day jobs and people who've got, you know, they've got families and people that expect things of them. I'm I'm actually quite lucky because I'm, I'm freelance. I've got one job, which is a regular job, which is two days a week that I do for the BBC. Um, I, my couple of columns, I, it takes me you know, a couple of days a month to do those. And other than that, um it's been I, I really am able to control my own my own schedule and my own diary and my own um uh sort of life and also i you know <laughs> i don't have a husband i don't have any children i've got two cats but they're pretty easy going <laughs> um so yeah i'm really lucky because although i've been slow to start and my proposal now is is cleared it's approved i've just list just last week got a final uh okay uh from michael and the signed contract back from Frontier. So I'm now good to go, although I've already started writing it. But I'm lucky because I can now spend 
a minimum of three days a week solid writing so although I'm a good way behind people like um, Drew and the others I would imagine that I will catch up very quickly because I can now write you know 2,000 words a day for three to four days a week so I'm already into chapter three and I'm really happy with it I'm really happy the way it's coming together it's feeling like it's got personality and depth which is nice and Angel's brilliant because she's just like she's who I wish I could be if I didn't feel the need to be lovely and friendly to everyone. <laughs> she's like she's bitter and twisted and just yeah. I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to do when the game comes out. I've I've named my character Angel Rose, my uh, my commander, and I'm just going to get in my ship and I'm going to fly out to Slough and I'm going to sit in orbit and just be rude to everybody. <laughs> this is how you're <laughs> intending to spend your time in game, is it? Just sitting above yeah. Slough or just being rude to all the passers-by. Absolutely. So come to Slough and I will be rude at you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well, going back to uh, obviously the story and the plot lines and stuff, I'm guessing that most of the stuff I'm about to ask you, you're not going to answer, which is fine. Um, but the, the random input backers, uh, you've asked for five pledges to suggest keywords or themes that at some point during the book will be play a central part to the plot. Um, are you prepared to give us any teasers as to what they might be? Um, no, not those, because they're so bizarre, um, random and a little bit scary, that um, I think it's best, I think they will give too much away, because I'm going to have to sort of like devise elements around those. So no, I think those those are a little bit too obvious. I will tell you, for the Digital Divas, so these are five people who got to name minor characters, um, I will tell you that those people have been very creative. They've given me lots of fun details to play with. And one of the characters is actually a character from one of the anthology books as well. Oh, brilliant. So they've done a crossover there, so they've got me to name a character. So I'm, I'm communicating with that writer to make sure that that fits in nicely. So that's kind of cool. We're going to have some direct crossover there. Um, and then my, um, my, my final reward was the Revenge no, no, Killing. No, this was one that I was quite interested in because uh, obviously this is the, the Revenge Killing section is for three people to name a major character in the book with the knowledge that these people are going to die in some gruesome ways. And what I was wondering, without giving away any spoilers, have these people been named as wives, husbands, ex-bosses, ex-wives, mothers-in-laws? <laughs> well, it's funny, actually. Two, two of them have asked me to kill famous people Ooh. who influenced their lives adversely when they were younger. So well, That's harsh. Yeah, so, you know, but in, involving girls. One was involving a girl and one was involving <laughs> a, a being marked down on an exam. So there's two, two people who want me to kill, basically, famous people who gave them a hard time, made their life miserable when they were younger. And the, the, la- the third one um, is just a name. Just a name. He's given me... So give me no reason, no requests about method of death, but I do have an email address so that I can seek permission, which was one of my stipulations when I set the reward. I said, if you want me to, to kill a real person with a real name, you're going to need to let me get permission from them because I don't want to get sued. So, so that's going to be an interesting email to send. Especially to the two <laughs> famous people. No, 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 I don't. Famous people, they're whatever. They're, they're, famous people are open territory right they're, they're, they're easy prey they put themselves in the public eye they can expect to have the piss taken out of them that is fair enough but just you know random joke blogs from down the street he, he shouldn't necessarily expect to, to, to end up being a victim of a, a gruesome murder in somebody's novel <laughs> <laughs> without any kind of justification so that's going to be an interesting email try dear mr blogs <laughs> i was just wondering if it's okay for me to kill you in a very gruesome and, and, and horrible way all right. <laughs> oh, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when you got that email. <laughs> well, uh, going back to what you said about the anthology, we've actually had a couple of the anthology writers on the show recently, and for their project, they've got their own forum with uh, certain backers being allowed access in order to help uh, help out the sounding boards or to present ideas. Now, you had a similar concept in Mostly Harmless where you have a, a 15-strong nosy Parker group that are part of your Google circle. Uh, in the Kickstarter reward section, you suggested that they would potentially have opportunities for the odd live hangout with you. Although I have <laughs> to say, yeah, only, and I quote, if you promise to keep your clothes on and not be too weird. Now, given our knowledge of elite fans, how long did it take before one or both of those stipulations were broken? Well, we haven't had any live hangouts yet, that's <laughs> the thing. So um, I've got that joy to come yet. Um, no, we started up, um, end of March, I started up the... Um, 
the hangout the google circle and actually you know, i made a google google group in the end google community and they have been just brilliant um i do you know what i can't imagine actually doing this without them they're there for me to run ideas past and they go yeah like that don't like that and it's a very solitary thing writing a book and especially not having a publisher as well you know i mean i had a publisher for my for my business book and it was really important to be able to have a sounding board for certain ideas and and what directions to take things and these guys are just just brilliant they're there with ideas they share ideas when I couldn't figure out I had a big problem at the end of my um end of my plot because I'd the the device that I was hanging the whole sort of like the whole uh, story on right at the end and it was a piece of technology that the basically Frontier just said no we can't have that piece of technology it's not not going to happen and so then I was like, I need to try and retrofit. The, you know, I need to find a new thing that this whole storyline can hang on. And I was just putting my hair out. It took me weeks and weeks. I had to step away from it for a couple of weeks. And in the end, I just went to the nosy parkers and I just said to them, look, you know, I'm really struggling. I've got this, you know, this thing and I need to find an ending and I need to find an object that it, that it all centers around and can anybody help me? And they just started throwing ideas into the mix and they're weirder than I am. I can go that much for free. Um, and you know, between between that and a little bit of tweaking for me, uh, an idea evolved that is actually far stronger than the idea that I started off with. So I'm just I can't thank them enough, and I'm not quite sure how I'm going to be able. Maybe I'll have to let them get naked in a. You know? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm going to edit that one out straight away. Do not give these guys encouragement for heaven's sakes. <laughs> No, they're absolutely brilliant. So, and I'm I'm hoping when we do end up doing a, a hangout, then nobody will will be weird <laughs> apart from me. I'm the only one who's allowed to be weird, and that's fine. Right. Okay. <laughs> I think we'll just leave that there, and um, maybe talk a bit about the the stretch goals, because obviously your your book was funded really really quickly. So obviously the the thing with Kickstarters is once you've got your initial um, funding, the yeah, the normality is that people will go and put some stretch goals in because obviously you've got some time left on your Kickstarter. So you went for <laughs> what has to be said, one of the most ambitious stretch goals, which was a professional audio book. Um, <laughs> well, that wasn't my fault, though. That actually wasn't my fault. You see, I'm this is my problem. I I believe that crowdfunding is, is a sort of a, a community experience. And once we got past the initial goal... And then it was like, right, okay, what's the next thing we should do? And everyone was like, let's do a paperback. So I'm like, okay, so we, we did the stretch goal to, to get the editing and the formatting for a, a print-on-demand uh, paperback. Um, and then we, oh, let's do a, what do we do now? Let's do a professionally divine, designed cover. Okay, <laughs> we'll do that. And then the next thing was, right, okay, so we've blown all those. We've still got a month to go. What do you guys want to go for now? And they were like, let's do an audio book. <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I went and, and, and did some research and spoke to a couple of people that I know from the industry. I actually worked with a company last year doing a, a, a show for Radio 4 so who, who do a lot of audio books. And they've got professional studios in London and said, OK, assuming I get the funds for it, what would be, you know, what would be the prices? And, and there's a price for... A, a basic audio book just recorded and edited um, and then there was another further uh, option for actually having it with some music bed and you know sort of a bit of sound foley and just a little bit of atmosphere just to sort of like make it feel a bit more like a professional audio book unabridged six and a half hours I'm I'm not aiming for such a long book as some of the epics as well you know I'm, I'm, I'm going for 60 60 65,000 words it's gonna be a nice pacey fun friendly lively romp through the uh, through the galaxy great stuff and are you planning on reading the audiobook yourself or are you getting somebody in I am yeah there's no way even on the massive wonderful 17,005 pounds that my wonderful backers managed to raise uh, there's no way that I would be able to pay a voice actor because there's royalties as well you know there, then there's an element of every single copy that you sell you've got to you've got to give the voice actor some so I'm cheap you know I work for <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably the quote of the show, right? Uh, but <laughs> the um, celebrity cameos that you suggested, do you want to uh, announce those again? Yeah, well, David Braben said that he would do a cameo, and I've got a brilliant idea for his cameo, and I'm definitely not going to give you any clues on that. <laughs> oh, Kate. No, no, absolutely not, because it's going to be a brilliant... No, it's, it's brilliant. I, when I devised this idea, honestly, I, I walked around my house chuckling at myself, 
for about three days. <laughs> I was that pleased with the idea. So I'm definitely not going to give you any clues because that's going to be a stonker. Um, and I do have now. There's, there's no, so he's a guaranteed. And I'm not going to have sort of like voice actors doing the sort of different characters because, again, that gets into the realm of yeah. you do when you've got to do them all. But I do have some minor celebrity friends. <laughs> Um, and I'm fairly sure that I can convince them to do something uh, in, in, to add to the book. So no promises, but um, I'm going to be... And if you've ever followed me on Twitter, you'll know who my... If you, actually, if you go to my website, just look at my book launch, you'll see the famous people there. So um, <laughs> I'm hoping I can persuade them to do a little bit of a cameo as well. Great stuff. Well, what about the other projects? Have you had a chance to look at the, you know, some of the other works that are springing up around Elite and which ones are you looking forward to? Oh, yeah. Do you know what? Um, I do, I'm a g- huge fan of sh- of short stories, actually. And I think, um, you know, because even the great thing about short stories is you can get on the train and you can start reading one and, you know, you can be done by the time you get to the other end. And I love, a, you know, a good ripping short story that takes you on a journey in, you know, a couple of thousand words or whatever. So I'm really looking forward to the anthology um, and just rolling out those different, uh, all the different range of authors. Um, and of course, Drew I mean Drew is uh, you know he's a he's a bloody professional isn't he so the rest of us are just playing at it um, but he's going to write something amazing I'm sure of it and, and he's got the support of a professional publisher behind him to make sure that he does so um, that I think is, is going to be awesome too I'm looking forward to that and do you know what I'm actually the one thing I'm really curious is to see is how this uh, crowdsourced thing comes out I think it could it could either be a brilliant, brilliant thing that we've never seen before, or an absolute car crash. And I'm sorry <laughs> that the people who are who are organising it, but it could go either way, and that makes it really fascinating as well. I so think I'm, you're talking about the Elite Chronicles here, where they're actually trying to crowdsource the the story as they write it. Exactly, exactly. So, and that's an interesting one for um for for Frontier as well, because they've been very very strict about the the uh, proposals and, and, and clearing the proposals. So I'm, I, I, I wouldn't mind being a fly on the wall in the discussions between um, between the Chronicles uh, person who's running it and, and, and Frontier to see how they're actually negotiating that whole thing. Well, from what we've learned so far, we think that Michael Brooks is writing Chronicles a, uh, a fiction Bible that they have to stick to. So a set of guidelines that the, uh, the Chronicles will, uh, will be telling everybody about. So... Poor Michael. Yeah. He's got so much to do. Yeah, hasn't he just? We need two Michael own, Brooks, really. He's only got he's got his own book as well to write. <laughs> only only a, only a true Wookiee could survive that. <laughs> to be fair, so. Saying. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, talking about Frontier, we'll just bring it back to the game. I mean, have you been following the development of the game so far? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've been dipping in and out. It's really difficult it to find the time, it's, especially with the design development forum, because that place is just alive. I mean, how do you keep up with that stuff? Yeah, you, you don't really. You, you try your best. But uh, no, I mean, I'm a, a DDF member. And yeah, you literally you, you dip into the stuff that really interests you. And you, you basically skim read the stuff that you're not so uh, you're not so bothered about. But the nice thing is, there's more than enough of us in that forum. So that you know, you're always going to have some passionate people about, you know, regardless of what the topic is. So mm. uh, I mean, the latest one was bounty hunting, which I think everybody's thrown their hat into the ring about because that's quite an exciting topic. But yeah, it does. I mean, they have to bring on extra developers in order to keep on top of the uh, of the beast they created when they gave out the uh, the DDF access. But, but it's uh, going to make a brilliant game, though, isn't it? Because it's going to be. I hope yeah. so. Yeah. Do you know how I keep up with it? I listen to the Lave Radio podcast. <laughs> There's a bunch <laughs> of blokes on that. Every week, they just talk about all the important stuff. And you go like, right, okay, check, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't <laughs> trust those guys as far as I could throw them, to be honest. And well, luckily, <laughs> in um, zero gravity, you can throw them quite far, so. Yes, as has been proved, but, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but what sort of things have been exciting you about the uh, development of the game? And what sort of things have been making you go, hmm, really? Not sure that's particularly elite. I think multiplayer is this game is always screamed for multiplayer I think and that's really exciting um one of the things that I 
was concerned about in terms of the um, multiplayer element, though, although I'm you know, really looking forward to cooperative play and strategic play as a team, I kind of die a little bit on the inside when you start talking about PvP. <laughs> oh, don't, Kate. Please don't. This has been a hot topic for the last week and a half. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. And I know I spoke when I spoke to David, and he did, you know, because I, I sort of said to him, PVP though, uh, kind of like it's for it's for teenage boys with too many hormones and and, and, and <laughs> cannons far bigger than they can really handle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he said that one of the things that he was trying to do is they were trying to come up with this idea, um, and I don't know, I haven't called up with the DDF forum this week, so I don't know if this has changed at all in, in, since I spoke to him before the Kickstarter was closed, um, but he was saying that they were trying to come up with this sort of like mechanism by which if you could survive... Uh, you know, somebody lets off a load of shots at you and they're a much more powerful player than you, if you can like dodge and survive for a certain amount of time, then they become a pirate and then suddenly you can't shoot at them or they can't shoot at you but you can shoot at them and and then and that just for me that seems although in essence it's like okay that will fix the big bullies coming and beating me up over and over again but how does it work that this guy with huge big cannons if we're trying to stick with the reality of, of, of the game universe, these guys with the huge big cannons will come along, shoot at me. I managed to dodge a couple of bullets, and then suddenly I'm impervious to their uh, so damage. It's just like that for me. It's like, hey, what? And suddenly you become a gnat that you can, you know, fly around their head going, <laughs> and I just think, I don't know. I don't know. I can't see how that's going to work yet, but um, I hope they get it right. I hope they get it right. Yeah, and what about the things that, that really excite you then? Um, well, the, the cooperative play element of multiplayer, honestly, and, and the social element, and also the trading. I was always a, sort of like big on the trading and, and, and sort of working out the best routes to get, you know, the, the best money and, and, and build up my wealth. And um, I guess I've always been a, a bit of a capitalist at heart. <laughs> so I really like the attention to detail on on the way that they're going to bring world events in to influence the economy within various different areas and how the different how the different political factions as well will have an influence on you know for example you could pick up pick up something in one star system which is completely illegal and then if you happen to sort of take a detour through a star system that's controlled by a different type of politics suddenly you you find a position where you're accidentally in possession of illegal substances so it's good. I think that's quite interesting the interplay of of real world events and the ability to create so I was saying earlier that I do I didn't I wasn't into shooting you know I was more into sort of getting building wealth and finding routes to so I would always avoid conflict and combat wherever possible um, and I think it's nice that the reputation system is going to give us the opportunity to excel and get badges without having to do all the pew pew pew. So yeah, absolutely. So you could still get to elite status without actually having to murder thousands of other players. Exactly. Assuming I ever get out of orbit around Slough, <laughs> sitting there swearing at people. <laughs> okay. Well, our final question um, that we ask everybody that comes on: uh, If you could add anything at all to the elite universe, if you could put anything into the game, what would you love to see? I would love to see a huge, just ginormous, floating effigy of David Braben <laughs> that was filled with helium, and you could just you could use it as an alternative to um, hyper jump. You just bounce into him if you've got no fuel. <laughs> just bounce into him, and he, you fling off, and you end up hyper jumping three solar systems to the left. That's what I would do, definitely. Can I have that? Can we have that? Um, I'd certainly Douglas Adams. I'm not sure if it's gritty elite that they're going for, but I'd, uh, I'd go with that, definitely. Excellent, thank you. Mission accomplished. Brilliant stuff. Well, we're going to leave it there, unless you've got anything else you'd like to add or any mentions you'd like to give out. No, just... Thank you so much to everybody, the community. You know, you mentioned earlier that all of the other writers um, have been very involved with keeping their backers dated. And to be honest, why wouldn't you? I am getting as much fun and enjoyment out of uh, spending time and chatting with um, my backers and the people who've, you know, who've joined me in my forums and on Twitter and stuff. So come and chat to me on Twitter, at Kate Russell, if you want to ask any stories about, any, any questions about the book or whatever. But yeah, thank you, everybody. It's just brilliant. And I can't wait. I can't wait to see you all in game. It's going to rock. 
<laughs> okay, Kate, well, that's going to do it for, uh, for this show. But thanks very much for coming on and talking to us about Mostly Harmless. Have a safe trip back to Slough Orbital. Thank you very much. Cheers, Kate. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen my um, mostlyharmlessbook.com website. You there? Oh. Hello? Hello. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask me what happened there. I don't know. But yes, I have seen oh. the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God. Don't we have to do that again? <laughs> no, don't worry. It's all recorded. <laughs> um, yeah. But we can't wait to read Mostly Dangerous uh, for now. Thank you very much indeed, Kate, and have a safe trip back to Slough Orbital. Thank you. Do you want to do that ending again? Because it's mostly harmless, not mostly dangerous. Oh, is that what I said? <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> all right. I am mostly harmless. <laughs>